Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to What the Fab, a fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Chicago Cubs for the SB Nation Cubs site, Bleed Cubby Blue. And before I spent all my spare time on fantasy baseball and writing about the Cubs, I was a high school teacher and debate coach, so I know a thing or two about answering questions and making a case for both sides of an argument. This is the first full episode of What the Fab, so some introductions are in order. I am here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball with some of the greatest minds in the industry in a way that strives to demystify this wonderful game a bit while bridging the gap between your home league and the NFBC main event. And I am thrilled to kick off this show with a draft recap of one of the toughest industry leagues I play in, the Tout Wars 12-team mixed league. Has some funky rules. We'll talk about them in a second. But I am joined today by one of the greatest fantasy baseball minds I know and one of the fiercest competitors in that league, Alex Fast. Fast is an FSWA award winner for the research article of the year. He comes up with the coolest stats. I use them obsessively. He is also the co-host of On the Corner and the host of the weekend edition of First Pitch. You have enjoyed his pitching graphics on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, and I'm pretty sure he won an Emmy for that. He's also a diehard Orioles fan whose time may be now. Alex, thank you so much for helping me kick off this show. My goodness. Thanks. What, what an un- I'm not worthy of that introduction. That was absolutely <laughs> you are, fantastic. Though. Oh, my God, that's unbelievable. I'm so happy to be in this episode. I'm so excited that you're doing this. It's always such a pleasure being able to talk to you. I'm so happy that we were able to meet in person at first pitch. I think I like ran over to you. I was like, can I just give you a hug? Uh, it was awesome to be able to meet you in person. So listen, I, 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 I'm very excited that you're breaking into this space, and I'm excited to see what the future holds for this podcast. So it's going to be great. 
Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I have wanted to do more fantasy baseball content creation, and it looks like I'm going to get shot this year. Uh, this show is launching the fantasy baseball content for Fans First Sports Network, which is mm. basically the island of misfit toys from all of the old SB Nation podcasts, plus a few new friends who we picked up along the way. And so, yeah, this is the first fantasy baseball show that has launched on that network, and we'll have a whole slew of fantasy baseball content for y'all, football, basketball, whatever your game is, we've got you covered. But we're going to kick it off with What the Fab here today. Before we jump into the Tout Wars 12-team mixed league, I think there's a couple of things we should talk about. The World Baseball Classic is underway, and honestly, that Puerto Rico-Dominican Republic game was one of the most exciting things I have ever seen in my entire life until the last second. Fast, I know you and I both had some reactions to Edwin Diaz going down with what we've now found out is a ruptured patellar tendon. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. I mean, you know, let's talk about this first. That's a, that's a human being who doesn't care what your opinions are about the WBC, right? Like that's a human being who, you know, might not. Uh, yeah, of course, he's a little bit wealthier than us. There's no denying that whatsoever. But it, he's a person with a family who in probably what was one of the best moments of his baseball career in, you know, in shutting down a huge rival for his national team on field, literally with his brother, right? Gets that injury. It's the last thing. It's like what, what nightmares are made of for players. So like before we get into like the takes and, you know, what you and I have experienced on Twitter today and what you and I on read today, people should take like a second to like just even acknowledge that, that a year of his playing career is gone as a result of this, which is absolutely terrible. The The other side of it, too, once we acknowledge that is like, I, I listen, I, I can see the perspective of why people um, would be frustrated about this. I understand it, right? I don't understand people calling it meaningless baseball games because then they clearly didn't watch that game. I don't understand the point of people calling it exhibition games. And I also don't understand the perspective who, like, if you're going to say that, then you cannot talk about how MLB does a poor job of growing the game. You cannot talk about how much you love baseball, in my opinion, right? Because those things are kind of at odds with one another. I could not agree with you more. And all of the t chatter about like exhibition games, this doesn't matter, would be like call saying the Olympics don't matter or saying the mm -hmm. World Cup doesn't matter. I was just in Miami for the World Baseball Classic. I saw the Dominican Republic play Venezuela and I saw Puerto Rico play Venezuela. It is a top three baseball experience in my life. I have been mm -hmm. to league championship series games at Wrigley and Fenway, including like do or die games in mm -hmm. both of those places. And it was a comparable environment for the players representing the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and Venezuela. The fans were loud. The fans were there. The second the gates opened, you could not get up the escalator. The Puerto Rico-Venezuela game broke the escalator at Lone Depot Park because there were so many people trying to get up there. And the, the concourse was just crowded with people dancing and cheering. I believe every player in that environment, when they say that that was a Game 7 environment for them, that was like Game 7 of the World Series. It was as important as anything ever to them. And accidents happen, man. Fluky things happen. I am a Cubs fan. Brandon Morrow hurt himself pull it, putting on pants a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like, we're not going to yeah. we're not gonna outlaw pants for baseball players, right? Like, we're, accidents happen. It is terrible. I am going to miss seeing Edwin Diaz play a lot. And I'm going to cheer my heart out for Puerto Rico. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I, I you said it perfectly well. I was trying to also just think, optimistically of like the timeline is six to eight months. Realistically, he misses the season. There is a small chance 
that he does come back at the end of the year or for a playoff run or for a playoff appearance. If he does, thinking about how loud City Field would be at that moment, that'll, that'll be chilling. That'll be one of the most in, amazing moments in baseball history and hearing that environment. So I'm going to think optimistically to that. I'm going to you know kind of put aside all the people who say, it doesn't matter. You know, It's not even getting great ratings. I think I saw that Korea versus Japan had more uh, viewers than any World Series game whatsoever. The last thing I'll say, sorry, keep rambling no, about no, it because I keep going. thinking of like, poignant points i think it was like adam jones who tweeted about the sedan i saw many other people in in uh, in a thread making a similar point where it was like it's just such an american view to be like this doesn't matter at all <laughs> you know what i mean whereas every person i saw who was of puerto rican descent who was dominican who was from the Ven- who was from venezuela or colombia they were all like no this matters to us like this matters this really japan those fans go crazy the chinese taipei games like those games matter this is not just an exhibition to them this is something big to them we just have to acknowledge that more yeah i'm I'm of mexican descent my family's lived in new mexico since like the 15 or 1600s or something like that and i was Mm -hmm. cheering my heart out for mexico and the mexico u.s game and the mexico crowd in phoenix and (laughs) chase field was on they were off the chain it was unbelievable there was a louder chant for joey manessis for mvp than there was for mike trout for mvp and none of us (laughs) believe that joey manessis is a better baseball player than mike trout but mexico showed up they were winning a game that mattered to them and the last thing i'll say about this before we jump into the tout wars re re tout wars draft recap which is what y'all are here for is that even john smoltz got this one right during that usa mexico game he was talking about how much it means to these players who they're oftentimes a minority in their clubhouse and they finally get to play with everybody else from their country who has the same experience that they do and they get to play in front of their fans who are cheering their heart out when we're at the dominican republic venezuela game we were sitting with some fans from the dr who who had never been to the united states before it was their first time there and they were loud and they were excited and it was the most amazing baseball experience i could not recommend it more highly and i hope edwin diaz comes back and pulls a kyle schwarber at some point this october for the mets in the world series yeah with you all right we're going to transition to the tout wars 12 team mixed league a couple of things here one of the things i think is super interesting about this league is it's definitely one of the times where you want to know your league rules there are some alternate rules for this league specifically we use on base percentage over average just like all the tout wars uh leagues do but we also use innings pitched instead of wins which i personally love because i think it's a better metric for a successful pitcher than a win, which can be a really fluky category. Um, And we use saves plus holds instead of saves, which is why if you look at this draft board, board, which I'll link in the show notes, you'll notice that the first relievers went way later (laughs) than relievers are going in your standard five by five roto. And frankly, I love that too. It also provides value for some guys who uh, like AJ Minter, who are really good setup men, but would never be drafted in a standard 12 or 15 team five by five. Uh, Alex, I'm curious, what do you think of these alternate rules? Yeah, I absolutely love these alternate rules. I remember when they were kind of debuting them and they said, you know, this is kind of, we, we, you know, Tout has been around for a long time and they wanted to do something that was a little more forward thinking what a contemporary league could theoretically look like. And I know they talked about it a lot. And, you know, the first year that we did the league, yeah, I was I was really into it. I mean, obviously, uh, any league that can kind of get rid of wins and either replace it with quality starts uh, is is going to be good with me. And I like the challenge of like, 
balancing what you do with innings pitched while also trying to maintain your ratios, right? And it also, in many ways, opens up the field to a bunch of different pitchers that you wouldn't necessarily think are the most fantasy viable, right? Guys like Merrill Kelly, guys like Miles Michaelis, you know, even like guys like Cal Quantrill, who are guys that can amass a good amount of innings but aren't really doing anything else like too sexy outside of the ratios. You know, so many fantasy leagues are all about the K guys because, you know, Ks are obviously a big part of the game. Um, but I kind of like it because it, it it levels out the field a lot. Um, and then, yeah, saves holds. I just think every the way that saves have gone the past decade in terms of, you know, baseball overall, fantasy's kind of got to get with the times there. And if you're in a points league, consider holds. And if you're in a categories league, I think you, sh- you should be focusing on saves holds about now. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. Also, on the innings pitch front, I mean, I kind of crushed the ratios categories in this last year, and I was de- I was de- almost dead last or like second to last in innings pitched, and that yeah. hurt me in Ks as well, right? Like I wound up taking yep. second in this league, and it was not a league that, I, and it was because I didn't prioritize innings enough. I had these darlings who were going to give me pristine ratios, and the lack of innings meant I also had a lack of Ks, and I could never really catch up in those categories, I fell behind and I, I there was nothing on the waiver wire I could do without blowing up the ratio lead I had. So I think it's a nice uh, strategy. Um, and it, it, it's nice from a strategy perspective. And it's also nice from a planning perspective. You really have to be deliberate about who you're drafting and why. I know you and I were fighting over pitchers on the waiver wire on this one all last season, which was one of oh my, my favorite God. things. I'm curious, with these different categories combined with the rules changes this year, how did that change your strategy going into this draft? Yeah, um, there were a few people that I was uh, that I would kind of like knock down a peg, or a few people that I would bring up. Like for you know the for lefties for lefty hitters, I would amp them up a little bit more. There was one lefty hitter in particular that I was like, okay, maybe I'll take this person because theoretically we could see them improve in their OBP category. And then there were some. It's funny, like the the not to spoil too much, but the one pitcher that I was theoretically a little bit more down on this year because of how heavily impacted they were by the shift last year was Sandy Alcantara, um, who I ended up taking anyway for reasons that we'll get to in a bit. Um, I don't think I let it sway myself too much, more so hitters than pitchers, solely because I want to take all of those things with a grain of salt because I think it gets so in the zeitgeist in fantasy baseball that we blow up how big of an impact it could have. And granted, sometimes we're right, right? Last year we were like, oh, Camden Yards is going to suppress power a lot more than we think. And it did. But then there is also every summer or every spring where it's like this person's throwing a new pitch. And as a result, they are going to have a two ERA. You know what I mean? So I think it's all about finding that fine line, tempering it a little bit, maybe making it a deal breaker between two players. Um, But yeah, that's kind of how I handled it this year. Yeah, I did a similar approach. And I, I was also kind of looking at it from the perspective of, which where did I think there would be advantages? And we'll get to this when we talk about like stolen base guys and who we took where and why in a little bit. But like I just did not prioritize steals in this draft the way that I have in the mm-hmm. past. We're going to see if that works out for me. I sort of was banking on the idea that the 12 to 15 steals guys are going to become 17 to 20 steals guys yep. and that maybe the real thing that was that is going to be a premium is power um, after what we saw with all the baseball shenanigans, the dead end ball the humidors, all of those types of things. So I I was really kind of adjusting my draft strategy a bit that way. I'm curious, you know, I kind of start each draft from scratch. I I run an auction calculator um, off a couple of different projections to see where people land with the different rules. But some people adapt just a standard roto list and they just kind of tweak up guys or down guys that they already like based on the new categories. You start with a standard 
um, roto list or do you run a whole new projection system for a draft like this? So what I do is there's a software that I swear by called Roto Lab. Bought it every year now for maybe seven, eight years. Um, And it allows you to use, you can customize your projections and then change your valuation using that, right? So I'm able to um, put in all of the projections that I want for all the players, then uh, adapt the software to the league that I use, which is awesome. You can also upload, uh, you can set up multiple leagues because I draft in in a bunch of different leagues. You can set up multiple leagues um, and then say, hey, I want to focus 65% on, you know, change your ratios to like 65, 30% pitchers and hitters or whatever you want to do, hitters and pitchers. Um, and then it allows you to keep track over the course of the draft. Like, okay, according to my projections, I'm really falling behind in 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 home runs or I'm really falling behind in OBP. And it lets you help form decisions that way, which is really nice. Um, it's funny. I'm actually looking at the projections right now. Obviously, if I'm not supposed to finish first, in at the end of my draft, then I've like completely failed. You know what I mean? Like my projection system should say that I finished first. I just updated it, losing all of the saves from Edwin Diaz because I will not get any from him this year. And now I'm supposed to finish fourth with you supposed to finish second, uh, very close oh, to nice. first. So congratulations. Uh, but yeah, you. that's what I try and do is is uh, I and I also combine ATC projections and the bat. Um, I know that's a little redundant since ATC already takes the bat into account, but I try and see where they differ most and maybe weigh it a little bit more towards the bat or the bat X. And then for pitch projections, all this year I did ATC as a base level and then changed it a little bit based off of PitcherList's new PLV projections and Enoceris's Stuff Plus projections. Um, I absolutely love what you just said there about double checking it off some other projection systems. I also use Eno's uh, stuff plus and his projections in order to like adjust my pitcher rankings. And I did that last year as well. It is it has not failed me yet. Can you tell people a little bit more about PLV and how to use it? Because PLV is something that maybe listeners haven't heard of. Yeah, sure. So PLV just launched with the PL8, the PitcherList 8 uh, website, and it's a new metric that, you know, that was kind of put together by Nick and our data team that kind of looks to encapsulate a pitch the way that Stuff Plus does, right? Uh, it's a similar formula with maybe a little bit more of an emphasis on location. I obviously know there's location plus as well, but this kind of puts the two of them together. It's super predictive. Uh, and then based off of PLV, each person's PLV, you can, um, you know, bring that all together to do a season-wide projection for ERA and stuff like that. Uh, All the PLVs are listed on each individual's player page. So if you go to like Pitcher List and you go to Chris Sale and you go and click on his tab, you'll see his PLV as as well as how that compares to uh, other PLVs. Like there's a percentile. Um, And it's just a fun way to kind of get a quick glance of how competitive a pitch is. Um, And also a fun way to be like, actually, this guy's got better you know his plv it makes you think that he's better than he actually is compared to the metrics that he put up last year so it's a fun tool to kind of you know another thing you can put in the tool belt to help you evaluate and prepare for your drafts awesome you can access that at pitcherlist.com which you should definitely be checking out pitcherlist is an outstanding resource for all things fantasy baseball um I'm just going to jump right in here which two picks from your draft were most heavily influenced by the different categories do you think Oh, great question. Oh, that's a very good question. Um, okay. The first one for me would be 
Sandy Alcantara. Um, I think, which is funny because I just said that theoretically I would knock him because of the shift stuff. I genuinely believe that he is SP one in this field solely because this is a guy who is what has to have the most innings pitched over the past two seasons because he keeps eclipsing two hundred innings. Even if he doesn't get you that mid to low two ERA, he's going to get you an extremely competitive ERA. He's going to get you a good amount of strikeouts because of the innings. So I I really uh, dig that overall. Um, and then another one, uh, this worked for me a couple of years ago. Uh, I was going to say Joey Gallo, but I don't know if that would necessarily work out. I mean, I'm kind of banking on the fact that like, he's always been an OBP guy, right? He's OBP. You can get a lot of home runs. OBP Maybe guy the and rule. the shift. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, and now I was a little bit dissuaded by the fact that like they shifted him again in spring training. They actually brought the left fielder over to where the second baseman used to be. So I was like, mm okay great um so yeah we'll see how that actually pans out for me um but yeah i would say maybe those are the two that the this league uh maybe most influenced me on uh and it looks like you took joey gallo in the 18th so that's a late round pick and if you get value there you're just pretty happy with it you took sandy alcantara in the second uh you had the sixth pick in this draft if i remember Mm. correctly for me i think that the two picks that i really Um, looked at a little bit differently. I had absolutely no hesitation taking Kyle Schwarber as my outfielder number one um, Mm. at pick number three, two in an OBP league. Kyle Schwarber has a career on base percentage of like 339. And honestly, that's that's dragged down a bit by a couple of seasons that where he was really off uh, when he was playing in Chicago. He's more of like a 350 OBP guy and his walk rate is like 11 percent for his career. So I absolutely love Kyle Schwarber. In this format in particular, he plays for a great team. He's going to mash a lot of home runs. He's going to drive in a lot of runs. He's going to score a lot of RBIs. He's always going to be in the mix. And he was, he was fine as my outfielder. Number one there. Um, I think that the other thing that I liked here that I have no regrets about at all was taking Ryan Presley as my first reliever in round 12. Um, I didn't see any reason to push anybody up anymore there. And Ryan Presley is probably going to get me 30, 35 saves, assuming that he stays healthy. So um, taking my first reliever in the 12th round, I could prioritize bats and prioritize pitching. And and I thought that that was, uh, or prioritize starting pitching, obviously. Um, But I thought that 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 was a good strategy for this format. God, your starting pitching is so good. So frustrating. I, I really love my starting pitching fast. It's very good. It's very good. It's very good. <laughs> uh, just so people uh, who may not be looking at the draft board, um, I don't know which pitchers fast is looking at, but I, I started uh, taking pitchers in the fourth and I triple tapped aces in the fourth, fifth and sixth with Spencer Strider, Zach Wheeler and Julio Urias. And then I just kind of waited for a bit until I took Ryan Presley in the 12th, Jeffrey Springs in the 15th, Nathan Avaldi in the 18th, Sean Manai in the 20th, a couple more relievers after that with Scott Barlow, Alexis Diaz, and I actually got Hayden Wisniewski and Jose Urquidy in the 25th and 26th, which I also kind of like. There were so many moments where you would make a pick and there was an expletive that came out of my mouth uh, on the other end. Even though we weren't close, you pick second and I pick seventh. But like there were so many. I'm just like it's like PTSD, just like rehashing old wounds, looking at your draft, being like, yep, I wanted him and I was pissed he didn't fall to me. Really wanted him. Really upset he didn't fall to me. There's a lot of those for you. For, in fairness, you did the exact same thing to me, in particular with Tyler O'Neill, who I wanted a lot, and Ramon Laureano. And the place that I am weakest in this draft is outfield. And I know I am weak in outfield. I kind of yolo the outfield a little bit, hoping that I could pick <laughs> up some guys 
Well, I had to, I had to yellow something, right? It was like you either sure. got to go, you either got to give up on third base, you got to give up on your second catcher, you, you've got to give somewhere. And I decided to take some risks in outfield. Like I like the outfielders I wound up with. I wound up with Kyle Schwarber, like I said, as my outfield number one. I took Taylor Ward in the ninth as my outfield Love number that. two. Lars Newbar, who I think has got a lot of upside as outfield number three in the 13th. But then I'm kind of like Alex Verdugo, eh, Garrett Mitchell, who is definitely not making the team. So I'm going to have sure. to reconsider that one. I think I have Jeff McNeil in here. So I have enough guys who can play, but it's it's going to be a little bit dicey in the outfield for me. But you know what? If, if there's one place that you could theoretically make up the most for, there's going to be outfielders in abundance. You know what I mean? You're fine there. Out of curiosity, was there a part of your draft that you thought was weakest that you kind of looked at it and you were like, ooh, I'm going to have to pick up some pitchers on the waiver wire. I'm going to have to pick, pick up some first baseman on the waiver wire. Like, where did where did you think that this draft sort of didn't come come together the way you planned? I mean, uh, let, uh, now I, I need, considering I drafted Edwin Diaz and Brendan Rodgers, it's all over the places. I'm already way in the hole, but which kind of stinks. But with that said, if there's one category you could theoretically make up for most in this league. It's going to be saves and holds. So I'm not terribly concerned about that. It just stinks because I took him relatively early in the sixth round, which is early for, for this league, as you aptly mentioned. Um, I'm going to be struggling in OBP. I have never ever, ever, ever in my life been a person who ended up with a lot of steals. Like I've always, especially in head to head leagues, I've always just been like a guy who's just going to be scrappy and maybe try and fight to win that category, you know, just by getting lucky with one dude that did not happen. This go around, I got so many stolen base guys that I would be very surprised if I was not three in stolen bases. I mean, my top three of my top four picks were Turner, Bobby Witt and Jazz Chisholm. Um, with that said, it, it started to really just the OBP got away from me and I wasn't able to make up for it. It was like a reason why I took Gallo because I was kind of hoping that maybe he can get back to his higher OBP that he has put up in the past. But I'm kind of hoping for a bounce back there. And then it kind of left me to corner myself, you know, at the end of the draft by making my SP four kind of excuse me, my outfielder four kind of outfielder five Mark Hanna, who like isn't terrible, but he's an OBP guy. And that's really kind of all I'm going to be getting from him. So I kind of handcuffed myself in that way. And even more frustrating, like I, the, the you know, Roto Lab, that software I was talking about, shows you the live standings as you draft and it gives you a one through 12 of how you're falling in each standing. And when I took Canha, I was like, OK, it's really going to boost me up from I think I was either last or second to last in OBP. I was like, it's going to boost me at the middle of the pack. It boosted me like one spot. Like it did nothing for me. So I'm going to be struggling there for sure. What about you? Um, yeah. So for me, I think that the cat, I mean, it is definitely my outfielders. It's the uh, outfielders are going to be an issue for me. But in terms of categories, I am a little bit nervous that I don't have enough innings yet again. I opted for <laughs> many like guys. That that are sexy on this on the like strikeout ratio side and not sexy mm. on the like, I'm just going to throw 200 innings side. Not that anyone throws 200 innings anymore, but like 180. Sure. I mean, I kind of opted for some sexy names with like Jeffrey Springs and Spencer Strider and neither of those dudes is going to throw more than 140 or 150 innings and I'm going to be struggling yeah. to try to find someone to get those innings, right? Like Hayden Wisniewski, another guy who could throw 150, 160 innings. He threw 155 last year between AAA and the majors, but mm. are the Cubs going to let him have that opportunity? Once Kyle Hendricks comes back from the IL, I think it all depends on what Kyle Hendricks is like. What if he's what if he struggles? Do they send him back to AAA? I just I think I put myself in the exact same situation I was in last year where I don't have enough innings. And since I don't have enough innings, I don't have enough K's. But my ratios are going to rock like I'm going to be running the yeah. ratio category from, <laughs> from like May on. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, listen, I was th- when you brought up when I was talking about your starting pitchers too, or when you were talking about them, I was thinking like, oh, I wonder if she's set up to not do well in innings again. But the K's thing, I mean, Strider and Wheeler, even if they, you do get 160 innings out of them, you're going to have so many K's from them. I love the Eovaldi pick, especially because his velo has been great in spring. I love the Manaya pick because his velo has been up. So I think even if you do set yourself up, your, your ratios are going to be good enough that like you're going to be able to find some warm body once a week that's going to be able to get you a few innings here or there, you know, that you can just kind of plug and play. That is the hope. We'll see what happens. Uh, As you know, fantasy baseball, lots of things can and will go wrong over the course of a season. We're going to take a quick break here for our sponsors. On the flip side, we're going to talk about our favorite picks from the draft, our least favorite picks from the draft, and our best piece of advice for a newish fantasy baseball player. But first, a quick break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bet get 30, bet get 20, 20, 20, bet get 20, 20, bet get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we are back. All right. So I... I was thinking about this favorite picks of the draft thing, and I had to like stop myself from touting Jose Ramirez at the first, like the second pick in the first round. But I did love that pick because everybody else went outfield first, like yeah. until yeah, you, I think. God. I think like the first five guys off the board, aside from Ramirez, until you were outfielders. And I really debated this. I went back and forth on the mock drafts. I ran mocks with outfield first and I ran mocks with third base first. And I loved what I got with third base first way more than what Mm -hmm. I got taking an Aaron Judge there or taking a Julio Rodriguez there. And so I just went with my gut and went with Jose Ramirez in that pick. If I'm not doing that number one pick, because I think your favorite pick is your number one pick is kind of, it's kind of cheap. So I I won't do that. I'll say that. I absolutely loved getting Julio Arias in the sixth round. I think that he is an mm. innings horse. I don't buy that he's going to have the ratio trouble that the projection systems currently have him set up for. I do think there's some regression coming there because the Dodgers aren't, don't have as good of a defense behind him and they're not going to be able to shift as much. But I don't think it's going to be as extreme as turning him into like a 4.5 ERA guy and banking on the Dodgers being slightly better than that. Uh, what about you, though? What, who are, What were your favorite two picks of the draft? Uh, it's funny that you say that because I also, I mean, like you very aptly said, I'm looking real quick. So of the 12 picks in the first round, nine of them were outfielders. It's pretty remarkable. It's an outfield run. (laughs) Yeah, it's truly an outfield run. And now the only exceptions to the rule were you at pick two with Jose Ramirez, me at pick seven with Trey Turner, which I like, I truly couldn't believe who some believe is a you know a consensus top three pick, like was was fell to me. I loved that because then I was able to really just start off with benefits in each category, and that's all I'm trying to do in the first round is get that five tier guy. Uh, and then the last the last two were Otani in the tenth uh, and uh, Freddie Freeman at pick eleven. So I really did enjoy that Trey Turner pick. Um, I was also there was a moment where I was like, you know what, 
I know this is an industry league. This is also supposed to be fun. And I want to kind of put my money where my mouth is a little bit more. And you know how sometimes you can make a projection for a person and then because you don't have them on any of your teams, you actually don't follow to see if they lived up to the expectations that you set for them. I didn't want that to happen. So in the ninth round, I took George Kirby because I'm so excited about George Kirby this year. And I really think he's going to have uh, just a big year. Uh, you know, he had so many encouraging metrics at the end of the second half last year. He had one hard hit fly ball, uh, which was unbelievable, um, you know. It's going to be a sophomore year. You never know how guys are going to perform there. He theoretically needs to take some additional steps with with some of his breaking pitches, but I don't know. I'm really excited about him, so I, I kind of dug that pick to make him my SP3 too. Sandy Alcantara, Luis Castillo, and him. I, I was pretty happy with that. I was cursing you when you took George Kirby because I really <laughs> thought that I might have a shot at George Kirby, and then you took George Kirby, and I was like, oh, fast and I like the same pitchers again. <laughs> Um, out of curiosity, was that strategy or just a happy set of circumstances that you got George Kirby there? Like, was there, was that like, I'm going to do it right now? Or was it just ha- like, oh yeah, this is the best guy on the board for me right at this moment. And I'm going to do it. I think there was, um, I think one of the, yeah, Salvador Perez had just gone. And I think there was only like one or two catchers at that moment that I was a little bit interested in. I think by then I had gotten either my first or second, uh, outfielder. I was still, I took jazz Chisholm in the fourth and I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do with him quite yet. I can either put him at second because I think there's a big tier drop off at second after him or at that point, all the other second baseman I wasn't as interested in. Um, or I can you know, slate him in as my outfielder. So I, I felt pretty good about my infield and my outfield at the moment. So at that point, I just looked at Kirby and I don't even know if it necessarily was the best available. It was just that moment, like you said, of like, okay, I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to take this pick. He's available. He's here and he's not going to be, I think, on the back end because after him, Oh, you know what? Carlos Marcano, who's in our league as well, who's another guy who we were just kind of, you know, sniping each other back and forth here. I think he said, like, it was either Hunter Green or George Kirby for me. And I was pissed that you took Kirby. And I was like, it's funny because I was going back and forth between those guys. And I was like, okay, I don't think Kirby's going to fall. So I'm glad I took him there. Yeah, I like that Kirby pick a lot. Um, It's funny that you bring up catchers because my favorite uh, strategy, happy circumstance pick is definitely my catcher situation. I kind of did a thing here where I took two top tiered catchers right in the middle rather than taking a premium catcher at the top and then a lower catcher at the bottom. And I went with MJ Melendez in the eighth. And then I followed that up with William Contreras in the 11th because I obviously have to have a Contreras brother on my team. It's like my (laughs) team. What what would this league be if I didn't have a Contreras to cheer for? Um, but that that's going to be a lot of fun for me. I love catchers who can rake. And so I just kind of yellowed that and decided to go with two premium premium options there. I think it's so funny because when I did my top breakdown with Nick, I was kind of talking about how much I kind of enjoyed that strategy. And it was me, you and Chris Clegg who had the smallest difference in rounds between when we took our C1 and our C2. And I like I get it. You know, the argument against it is, OK, you're taking your C2 there. But, you know, what value are you missing out on? But I also think it has to do with roster construction. I also has to think it has to do with like, yeah, but what kind of value am I going to get from the like 30th catcher available? You know what I mean? That position is not easy to stream whatsoever. It It's it, like you're it's really tough in a two catcher league to stream a better second catcher. And I don't know. I think there is something to be said. I think it's a fun strategy to be like, you know what? I'm going to get two top 15 guys. I'm going to get their like their their stuff over the full course of a year and everything else I can kind of make up for. I, I dig it. I think it's smart. 
I dig it too. And two other things I really like about it. One, if one of your catchers goes down and gets hurt, you have a premium catcher. So when you pick yeah. up Jan Gomes as like your second catcher, you are <laughs> nowhere near the hole that you would be in if your like top catcher went down and now you're playing like Jan Gomes and Christian Vasquez, for example. No offense great to Christian point. Vasquez, he's great. But like, I think it just gives you an advantage there. And the second thing is, one of the narratives that has kind of come out uh, in fantasy baseball circles this year is just how deep catcher is. And so people are willing to wait on it a bit. They're not investing in it as much. And it only takes two people in your league double tapping premium catchers before you have created a scarcity problem at catcher again. And all of mm-hmm. the people who thought they were going to wait on like a Tyler Stevenson or wait on like a William Contreras can't do it anymore because a couple of people have two really strong options. And so I think it creates scarcity in a room, even if there's not really that same scarcity on the market. Yeah, it's a great point. We saw it in our league already, right? Within the sixth round, uh, no, excuse me, within the fifth round, JT Realmuto, Dalton Varsho, uh, and Will Smith were off the board. Within the sixth round, Adley Rushman was already gone. So by then, too, in a two-catcher league, like you can see why people were starting to, all right, let me let me scoop these guys up a little bit. And I can guarantee you that after you took Melendez and after Kirk went off the board and Oliver Salvador Perez went off the board, people thought, okay, you know what, fine. Maybe now it'll calm down. I can wait a little bit and I can get William Contreras. I can wait a little bit and I can get Sean Murphy. I can maybe wait a little bit longer and get, you know, Tyler Stevenson. But no, they went. They went really quick. People got a little bit more desperate and it set us up for success because you're right. You don't want to be left holding the bag with that CT, you know, that C2 position. I think that point of like, yeah, if C1 gets injured, you're kind of in the hole. That's that's a great point. Well, and what's interesting about it is when you listen to fantasy baseball podcasts all the time, we all preach against scarce, like drafting from a position of scarcity on catcher and those types of things. And yet when we were drafting, like everybody did that strategy, like the scarcity yeah. at outfield, you can see it in the runs that happened in the early rounds on outfield, the scarcity at third base, it, it, mm-hmm. it did not last. The scarcity at no. catcher did not last. So like, I think sometimes you may think that the wisdom of a strategy exists in one place and we tell people what to do with that. And at the same time, we're willing to engage and try those things. And so honestly, I think it's worth it just to do some different mock drafts, see what you wind up with and see how things work out. Um, And I'm glad I I love my catching situation. I love your catching situation. I love love Chris's catching situation. It'll be interesting to Mm. see how it plays out. Yeah, for sure. Um, All right. The flip side of this question what is the least favorite part of your draft and why? I already mentioned that I yellowed the outfield a bit, and I am certainly going to be doing some waiver wire moves to try and get a sixth outfielder in mm. the early weeks. But I, I trust myself a little bit to be able to fix that. Um, you got to tra- you got to have a trade off somewhere. What was your least favorite part of the draft and why? God, again, putting aside the awful injuries that this that have happened to me, um, there was just a moment where the draft just got away from me in the middle rounds, where it was like. I just wasn't I wasn't sure of the pick that I wanted to make. I didn't know who their best value was off the board and I was just struggling. And that was like the Joey Gallo, John Gray, Brendan Rogers area. I was just like playing more catch up than I was. Also, I like Ramon Laureano relying on him theoretically as my outfielder three is a little bit scary to me. But then again, maybe I put Jazz Chisholm in. So then he's my outfielder four. I don't know. I think John Gray, I could have gone with something that was a little bit more upside, a little bit more innings pitched there. I mean, like guys going around him were like, uh, I think, yeah, it's an odd. So Grayson Rodriguez already gone off the board, but like Sonny Gray, Sean Manaya, 
Um, you know, there were some other pitchers around there too that were like just had a little bit more upside, could theoretically get me a little bit more innings. And then again, that goes right into around 21 to where Mark Hanna, I get a little bit more handcuffed. So it felt like I wanted to be at that point in the draft where I was making picks where there could be like a higher upside. You know what I mean? Something where it was like I'm playing for more um, ceiling, but now I was looking for more high floor and maybe it works out. Um, but yeah, right around that moment, I was like, I just lost this draft right now. I got to try and find out a way to get back into it. It's so interesting that you talk about those moments where you lose the draft and you kind of have to grab back onto it. Because I had that moment happen in round 18 and 19. I really wanted Tristan mm. Cassis. And it looked like Tristan Cassis was going to fall all the way back to me. And then John Legaza took him right in front of me. I do mm. think I cursed in the draft room <laughs> at that <laughs> moment. Um, and then it, it's a, you know, this is another time where you need to talk about the circumstances of your draft a little bit, right? It's a fast clock. I think we have a minute clock for this draft. It is being radio broadcasts on Sirius XM. So like you really don't want to be the person that needs to stop the draft for, for any reason. And so I'm kind of sitting there like I was all in on taking Tristan Cassis. And then now I'm like, oh, what do I want to do? I needed a mm. corner outfielder at that point. I wasn't entirely sure that I was invested in the next guy on my list, which was Josh Young, uh, who we'll talk about in a second. And so I actually picked Nathan Evaldi at that moment because I was worried that I thought Evaldi had a better shot of going to Matt Truss than Young did. And I decided I would try to pick up Young on the flip side, which is what I did. But I had a moment of panic there. I was like, did I really want Josh Young uh, yeah. in the 19th round? I'm not sure that I did, but I guess it's an okay upside pick for a corner outfielder. Yeah, I'm with you. Those moments happen all the time where it's like you make it and you're like, you know, the clock's ticking down and you're just like, all right, I'm just going to go with my gut here. And then you go with your gut and you're like, man, my gut was so wrong. Um, <laughs> I do like the Josh Jung pitch. I think I think it's going to be better than maybe than we're anticipating. I think it could be a nice, it could be a really nice pick. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. I have those some, those moments and all you got to do is just focus on the next round, right? All right. Got, I got to pick again in a couple of minutes. Let's see what I'm doing here. Yeah, it's all about how you recover from those those picks. And frankly, I think it's interesting because the way you recover from those moments can differ a little bit if you're in the middle of the board like you were, if you're on an end like I was. I mean, I had two picks to make there pretty quick. I was going to have to pick yeah. um, again within like two minutes, right? Because I only had trust between me and the next pick, whereas you've got at least six picks between. So you can get a view of the entire lay of the land, what everybody's doing in that round. Do you prefer to be in the middle of the draft board or on an end or does it not really matter to you? I love being right in the middle. Um, I like to be six, seven, eight, ideally, because you know what? I honestly think within the first, usually, especially this year, the first five or six picks are close enough that I don't mind taking whatever will get me the most value in the second round, right? So like, for example, the differences between, you know, Judge and Acuna and Trey Turner and, you know, J-Ram aren't theoretically so big enough that like, I can't wait to be pick number five or six, get Trey Turner there or get Kyle Tucker even, and then be in a good position on the way back around. Because I think the largest fall off is right around like those points, like when things start coming back around. That's why I think it's so difficult to be 1-1, you know what I mean? Um, it's funny too, cause that's very much thinking about like just the beginning of the draft and not the end of the draft. But I do think that being in that position kind of helps me, helps set me up the most for success. 
Yeah, I love being in the middle. Uh, this time I actually KDS'd my way at the top, mainly because I just wanted to force myself into that third base or outfield strategy. And I felt like that would set me up for the rest of the draft and I knew what I was doing. But tr- but mostly in drafts this season, I've been prioritizing that eight, six, seven position, mm-hmm. just like you were saying, uh, for my number one pick. I haven't gotten it hardly anywhere. I've been drafting one, two, three a lot this mm-hmm. season. Yeah. So it just is what it is. Um, this was not on the rundown, so I apologize for the curveball. But I... I'm curious, aside from your draft, aside from my draft, is there a draft that really jumped out at you here that you were like, wow, that's a great draft. That is an awesome team. Going to be fierce to compete with them all season. Yeah, I mean, Carlos Moncano uh, definitely took a, a few guys that, you know, I, I think he's got a lot of upside there. I think he's got a fun uh, rotation. Um, uh, you know, obviously having Nola and, and Green is a lot of fun. Um, there's one other team, too. Hold on, I'm going to pull up my notes here. Because I think there was one other team that was projected to do super well that I was really into. Um, I think that Towers, Chris Towers, is a lot of fun. It's very feast or famine, right? Because uh, there's, you know, if he Byron Bucks, that. yeah, it, it cracks me. Because if it hits, it hits, right? Like if Chris yeah. Sale gets him 160 innings and Dustin May gets him 150 and Riley Green is what he's supposed to be and Jesse Winker bounces back and Byron Buxton stays healthy and Grayson Rodriguez gets 150 innings, it's set. And Tatis, he has Buxton and Tatis. <laughs> Yeah, God, I forgot about that too. Yeah, but that's the thing. Tatis is funny too because it's like when he comes back in like May. When does he come back? He's I forgot when his when his return date I, is. I, I have heard that it is April twentieth, and I am not April making 20th. that up to be funny. Oh, then <laughs> didn't think about that. Yeah, so there's a lot. Like now, here's the thing too. Tatis is an interesting pick because it's a roto league, right? So it's not like oh, hey, I'm gonna maybe I'll fight for it in the few first couple weeks uh, in a categories head to head, and I'll be fine. It's roto, so you need all those stats kind of right away. But Fernando Tatis could theoretically make up for any dearth of stats that he has by just being himself. So yeah, I, 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 yes, there's a lot of downside. I love you, Chris, and he probably knows it too. Sale could get hurt. Glass now got hurt. Grayson Rodriguez could have 120 innings, and Edward Cabrera could have 100. But on the flip side, they could hit very well for him. Yeah. The the only other draft that I, I agree with you on Towers' draft, I looked at that and I was like, wow, if this comes together, Towers yeah. is just going to crush all of us because he has yeah. a lot of five tool or five category guys that frankly he took later with risk, right? And mm. the reason they were available later is because they have risk. And if they hit, he's going to be in a really great position. The other draft that I really love that I thought was pretty sneaky as I was looking at this board later um, was was Bubba's, uh, Brian mm. Entrican. And I, I just, I really like what he did. He took Kyle Tucker. Um, he picked right after you. So he's picking eighth. He picked Kyle Tucker. He's got Manny Machado, uh, Matt Olson. He, Jacob deGrom is his SP1, but he's also backed that up with like Alec Manoa and Zach Gallen, but Lance Lynn, a bunch of guys who are going to thrive in that innings yeah. pitched format. And I, I just really like this draft. His outfield is the opposite of mine. Kyle Tucker, Corbin Carroll, Teoscar Hernandez. Like this is a premium outfield, right? Lourdes Gurriel, Jake Fraley, who's going to play for the Reds. Like I just, I... I'm like, this outfield is set up to succeed. My outfield is set up to, God, I hope the upside hits. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're right. The more I look at his team, that pitching is so deep. I mean, I actually, now that you said, I remember being like, oh man, if Jacob DeGrom falls one more spot, I'm going to take him. And he didn't. But DeGrom with Manoa and Gallon and Lynn and Joe Musgrove, which he got at a discount because that was the day of, it was the day we found out about his broken toe. So we had no idea what to expect. And he he just kept falling and falling and falling. He took him and that was absolutely fantastic. And then backs him up with Carrasco at the back end too. I mean, Jordan Walker, 
Like, I was worried about him at third base. I'm like, oh, Jordan Walker, man. Like, even Jordan Walker looks like he is the real deal. Yeah, it's 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 a great team. The more I look at it, yeah, it's it's a very, very good team. Yeah, it's going to be a fun season. Uh, the Tout Wars 12-team league, this is the 12-team mixed draft with different categories. Um, always a fun time. But I'm curious for, uh, for our last question, and this is the question I'm going to end up with everyone, so you're the first mm. person to get to answer it, but what Ooh. is the one best piece of advice that you would give for a new-ish fantasy player, somebody who hasn't done a lot of fantasy baseball before, they're trying to decide between whether they're going to do a roto league, whether they're going to do a 10 team league, whether they want to dip their toe in at the NFBC. Do you have a piece of advice that is your go-to for a new fantasy player? Yeah. Um, I would say it's a, it's a game. So don't forget that. And also go, go with what you think is right. Right. Like there are so many projection systems out there and you obviously want to win. And I get that. But no one person has the answer in this game whatsoever. Right. There is so much volatility year over year in, you know, you look at like the the rankings among the analysts at the end of each year, which some sites offer. And there's so much volatility because no one is consistently perfect at this game. Right. Or it's very rare. There are some very high stakes NFPC players who are fantastic and are fantastic year over year. But it's difficult to, to be that. And don't put that pressure on yourself. Read the websites that you want to read. Look at the analysis that you want to look at and form your opinions based off of those things and go based off the, those opinions, because I think that's how you grow kind of as <clears throat> excuse me, how you grow as a fantasy player. Right. Is you stake your claim. You're wrong because you will be wrong. You'll be wrong all the time. And you'll learn from that and you will formulate how you play as a player. And that's kind of what you want to do, right? I mean, uh, listen, I'm not saying, you know, don't listen to Sarah for advice or don't listen to me for advice. There are plenty of people who can offer you advice. But like, I always try and preach this, like, just because Nick puts out a list or I put out a list doesn't mean we have a crystal ball, right? You can argue with us all the time because we have absolutely no idea. We're going to do our best to stick to our opinions and, and formulate them based on a subset of data that we think is the most accurate to do so. We're going to try and do that and be unbiased in doing so, but we're not going to be right. So go with your gut and have fun doing it and don't offer your league mates awful trades. That's the last thing I'll say. Don't be that person. Oh yeah, I'll, absolutely on the trade thing. Like, don't don't be the person who tries to like pull one over on somebody else with a trade. Always offer fair value. Um, but going back to your first your first piece of advice there, you know, don't take it too seriously. You're going to be wrong, and and it's okay, and just kind of roll with it. I think the hardest thing for me when I first started playing fantasy baseball was that I would get wedded to guys. Like I drafted them for a yeah. reason, right? Like I would think, oh well, there's a reason that I picked this guy in the 23rd round over whoever else was on the waiver wire. And it made the waiver wire really difficult for me because I never wanted to drop somebody for the guy that I had drafted. And I, I finally got to the point where I actually started deliberately drafting people in the later rounds who I wasn't as wedded to. Like, I'm just going to mm. take some shots on some high upside guys who I will have no problem parting with if they don't make the roster or if they're not going to like, they're not going to give me the upside. Like, I think they might have 30 homers if they make the roster. And if they don't make the roster, it's totally fine. And I'll drop them and I'll yeah. find somebody else because it gave me more flexibility for those early waiver wire picks when I really liked some of the people I could add there. But you have to have a drop in order to have an ad. And if and if you're in love with your team too much, if you're in love with the guy that you took in the 26th or 27th round, you don't have anybody to drop to pick up those yeah. ads. 
That's a great point. That reminds me too. That's such a great point that like, especially when it comes to pitching, um, the, there's so much volatility there and you can have your preconceived notions and your preconceived biases and do your best to check them at the door. Do your best to like, let the data inform what your decision is. Like I bring this up a lot of, with you say Kikuchi. I get it. It has perpetually been like a Yusei Kikuchi is going to be good, and then he is absolutely terrible for your team, right? I understand that for sure. Pitchers figure things out all the time. I don't think Yusei Kikuchi is going to be an SP3 or an SP2 this year, but the changes that he has made in spring training lead me to believe that there is enough upside there that he can be a fantasy asset for you, which he was not, especially with where he's going in drafts. So do your best to, like you said, don't marry yourself to a particular person you try to come into each season with a fresh set of eyes, let the data kind of be what guides you there and do your best to acknowledge. All right. I might have a bias against this person. Sure. Maybe I'm going to stick with it, but as long as you're aware of it, that's kind of what's most important. So yeah, that's a good point. Alex, thank you so much for joining me for the first episode of what the fab, where can people find you and your work uh, pitch what you've got going on right now? Yeah. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at AlexFast8. And I've got an article coming out, uh, I believe, next week about uh, finger pressure, uh, a study that I did with Driveline Baseball, finger pressure and its impacts on ball flight. So a little nerdy, a little out of the fantasy realm, but very exciting stuff. I think people will really get a kick out of it. So yeah, go check it on a picture list should be out next Monday or Tuesday. That is awesome. I I love stuff like that. And frankly, I think that all baseball data and information is useful for fantasy. Like it may not plug Mm -hmm. in immediately to like, this makes somebody an SP5, but knowing where people have an edge can give you an idea of like, hey, maybe I'll take a chance on this guy and just see what happens with this new piece of information I have. And like I said, if if it doesn't work out for you, you can drop them. Waiver wire ads are not weddings. So you can, you can do (laughs) a lot of, you can do a lot of, uh, different, you know, different moves between here and there. You can just kind of test some things out. Don't take yourself too seriously fast. I cannot wait to see how this uh, season of Tout Wars plays out. Thank you again so much for joining me. Um, Until next time. Yeah, thanks for having me. 